Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Well, we've been in a, we've been in a series um, the last few weeks talking about work at worship. And one of the things the Lord put on my heart this morning, it's not that we're veering away uh, in this last message of the series, but I just want to focus in on something this morning. Uh, again, something you have heard before, but I just came this morning to remind you. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to remind you this morning of who you are, of who you are, because sometimes we don't act like who we are. Sometimes we don't, we forget who we are. We think we know who we are, but God wants to remind you this morning just who you are. So if I can for a few minutes, I want to talk to you a little bit about identity. And if our work is going to be our worship, if our life is going to be our worship, if our marriage is going to be our worship, if, if everything that we do is going to be our worship, we have to know who we are. We have to understand our identity. Amen? Our identity. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Peter. Or if you have a device, a way to get to Scripture. Maybe you remembered it. We won't put it up just yet. But we're going to get there in just a moment. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. I, um, I remember this TV show. My wife can attest to this. One of my favorite TV shows of all time to watch was this show called CSI. Anybody ever heard of that show? Now, sometimes you get them confused because there's NCIS and CSI Miami and NCSS Albuquerque and, uh, you know, ICS Bloomington. There's all these different shows on. But I liked mostly just the original CSI. And it was on the air probably for 14, 16 seasons, uh, you know, even with different characters coming and going. And uh, I love that show because I'm a person who likes to figure out things. You know, I like the, the mystery of it all. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not morbid. It's not that I liked all of the. That's why my wife wouldn't watch it, because it was somebody was always dead, you know, and they would show how they got shot and how the bullet entered and which way it went. And, you know, all the science of it, you know. And so there's that part of. It, I, I get it, uh, but I but I did uh, enjoy the science. And one of the things that was common throughout every episode of CSI is when the CSIs, the crime scene investigators, got on the scene, what they would have to do is first try to identify the victim. Who is it that we're talking about? And it's almost like they couldn't even go forward until they identified who this is. You know, to get motive, to get any of those things, first we have to know who it, who is it. I mean, is it a prince? Was it, you know, someone who was homeless? Is it someone who worked at the bank? They need to know who this person is and identity. Without that, they don't even know where to start. And I think we are a lot like that in life. We try to start and we try to go without first knowing who we are. And it's difficult to get to where you're going without knowing who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you may not know where it is that you're going. So we have to start with who we are. First Peter chapter 2, 
starting at verse 9, Peter said this. He said, but, but you, watch this, are a chosen generation. God is saying, I chose you. I, I didn't randomly pick you. I chose you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into, watch this now, his marvelous light. Not just marvelous light, but his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now there's a lot just in these couple of passages that most of you have read before. You've heard messages about it before. One of the many things that stands out in this passage, just as a side note, I want you to understand is that the, he didn't say that God called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Look at it closely again. It says he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's an important distinction because if you remember back in Genesis, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And if you read it in chronological order, you'll see that he hadn't created the sun yet. He hadn't created the moon or the stars. There was no artificial light. He just said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, what light was this? Because he hadn't created the sun yet. He hadn't created the moon. This light was him revealing himself to his creation. You are called out of darkness, not into the sunshine. And Lord knows I love the sunshine. You are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, into his presence. The New Living Translation put it this way, and it's talking about he, Peter's talking about a people. Right before this verse 9, he mentions that there are people who are far from God because of their sin. There are people that are rejected, but it's because they sin and they turn their back on God. And then he says, but, 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 but you are not like that. No, 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 no. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're not like that. You might have acted like that, but you're not like that. You, know, you ever heard a mother talk to her son sometimes when he messes up and he does things he, he shouldn't be doing. Maybe he stole something from the store. He talked in class. She, she, a, see, a father just say, boy, you're getting on my nerves. He might hit him upside the head. But a mother will say, that's not you. That's not who you are. Even though you did that, you're not like that. He said, you're not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation. You're God's very own Possession, folks. As a result, you can now show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once, you had no identity. You were just random. Come on. But now you are God's people. Once, you had no mercy. There was no forgiveness for you. But Christ died on a cross and took every sin that you ever committed and every one that you might commit, put it on his shoulders, and he paid the price. So now you have received God's 
mercy, in case you don't know who you are, in case you don't know who you are. I was thinking of a story, I was reminded of a story that some of you may know, the story of a man who was walking through the forest and he found a little bird and it was an eagle. And you've heard different variations probably of this story. But he found this little eagle, it was a baby eagle, and he looked around, the mother wasn't around, there were, there were no other eagles around, so he took it, and he took it home, and he had a farm, and so the, all he knew to do was put it in the chicken coop. He just put it in there with the other chickens, because that way he could feed it and, you know, nurse it back to health or whatever it needed to do. He didn't know how to raise an eagle. Who knows how to raise an eagle? An eagle's not something to be tamed. Come on. An eagle belongs to the sky, Right? And so, but what you find is that eagle was in there with those chickens and all of a sudden it started acting like a chicken. It would just, you know, get chicken feed off the ground. I mean, it never even tried to fly. Forget flying. I don't see anybody else flying. I'm in here with all of the chickens. And all of a sudden, one day this park ranger came by and noticed on this man's farm that he had an eagle in there with these chickens. So he went up to his house and say, excuse me, I just want to ask a question. This eagle is in here with these chickens. This eagle doesn't belong with the chickens. And the man said, well, I don't know how to raise an eagle. I don't know what to do with it. So he said, no, 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 let me. So he took the eagle and took it out of the chicken coop. And he talked to the eagle. He said, now look, you are an eagle, so fly. And the eagle kind of looked around and was thinking, this, this man is crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. So the eagle jumped down out of his hands and went back to the chicken coop because that's all it knew. But the man said, I'm not going to give up on this, this eagle. So he took the eagle and he went up on top of the man's roof, on top of his house. He went on his roof, said, I'm a little higher now. He said, you are an eagle. You don't belong with the chickens. Nothing wrong with the chickens. We can fry them up, but you are an eagle. <laughs> so fly. So the eagle kind of thought about it a little bit, and then he kind of looked around, and he was wanting to try something, but he got a little afraid and just jumped back down out of the man's hands and went on back to the chicken coop. And so the man said, you know what, uh, despite all this, I I'm not going to give up. And the farmer said, look, that thing may have been born an eagle, but it's not an eagle anymore. It's not an eagle anymore. Just forget it. And the, the park ranger said, still, this bird has the heart of an eagle. And surely he can be taught to fly. He will fly. So he took the eagle and he drove up on top of a mountain. And he held the eagle up high and said, look, you don't belong to the earth. You are an eagle. Search your heart for who you really are. And that eagle saw that view, and it was as if he was home. It was as if uh, something in his mind clicked, and he was a little afraid, but he began to spread his wings. He said, what are these things? He spread his wings, and sooner or later, he flapped them, and he took off, and he flew. Why? Because he belonged to the sky. There are many of us that are confined by our environment. 
And we need to get out of our environment. And I'm not necessarily talking about where you are physically, but I'm talking about where you are spiritually. We need to allow God to remove us from the muck and the mire of our environment that we may be able to open our eyes and see who we really are. Many of us live our lives like this eagle. We think we're something because others tell us that that's what we are. Satan tells you what you are and who you are. We believe him instead of understanding that God has set in motion his plan for every person to have a unique calling, a unique life, a unique ministry. There's a, a Greek word. This Greek word is called metron. And if you look this word up, it, it, you would think that it's talking about purpose. Everybody has a metron, and we're only successful if we feel, if we stand and fulfill our own metron. And you would think it means purpose, but it, it really means something a little bit more than purpose. Purpose is why we are here. We need to find out why we are here. But as long as you're in your own metron, that means how you do what you do, why you laugh at the jokes you laugh at, really who you are. Fulfill your own metron. And what happens is when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, what we're really doing is comparing our metron to their metron. Two different things altogether. You'll never be successful unless you stay on your path. There are many ways to get from here to Los Angeles. But there's one path for you. And you might say that person is going a quicker path than me. But that's not your path. You'll have a hard time on that path. You won't be successful on that path. That person is successful because that's their metron. Come on, somebody. That's their way. That's, what, that's who God created them to be. Are you living up to God's expectations of you, not someone else's? God knows what he expects of you. I mean, how many times are we going to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, that God knows he has a plan for me, a plan to prosper, not one of evil, but an expected end. How many times will we quote that until we understand that it's specific to me? It's not just for the church, but it's for you. It's for you. I had a good opportunity to substitute teach in a school system this past year, and it was really a very enlightening, eye-opening experience, uh, the things and how curious uh, young people are and how smart they actually are, and a lot that we don't give them credit for as uh, older adults, if you will. And um, I, was, I was thinking of this, this story about a teacher who went into the classroom and uh, she took over for another teacher. So she would substitute teaching for the rest of the year. The other teacher uh, was gone. So she took over this classroom and she saw in this classroom there were two little boys. We'll uh, just call them, let's call them random names, uh, Mike and Josh. We'll just use those two names, you know. So there were these two boys in this classroom, let's just say Mike and Josh. And uh, he, she noticed that these two boys uh, seemed to be pretty smart, but they weren't excelling. They weren't excelling in their work. And so she said, well, maybe there's something else going on with them. 
Maybe it's that they're having a hard time at home. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know what it is. Let me, let me go down and talk to the principal about Mike and Josh. So she went down to the principal's office to talk to the principal about Mike and Josh. And the principal happened to not be there in his office that day. And she said, well, um, I know it's okay. He said we could do this. I'm just going to pull their files and kind of look and see what's going on. So she, she pulled their files. She looked in the files and she looked down and she saw some numbers that were their IQ. And she said, boy, these are high. They have high IQs. There is no reason that these two boys shouldn't be excelling. In fact, according to the IQs, they're the smartest two in the class. So then she went back to the classroom and then she began expecting more out of them. She put a little bit more on them. Uh, you know, she didn't coddle them. Uh, she, 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 she gave them uh, tough assignments along with help and all of that. And what she found was, as the year progressed, she found that the more that she demanded of them, the more they excelled. And, and she said, I know, that's right, because the, their IQs are so high and their skill level is very high, so there's no reason they shouldn't excel. The principal found out about this, these two boys, and because the principal knew Mike and Josh. And uh, the principal said, you know, listen, what's going on? with Michael and Joshua because uh, all of a sudden you must be doing something different with them. They're all of a sudden excelling far more than any of the other students. And she said, well, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just uh, demanding more of them because I came down to your office that one day and uh, I looked into the file and I saw their IQs and I saw their IQs were high. And he said, wait a minute, you saw their, he said, we don't have their IQs in their file. He said, those were their student numbers. That's not their IQ. <laughs> See, they lived up to what she believed of them. She believed them that they were very smart, very intelligent, and they lived up to that. How many of us go through life and we're not living up to what God has placed on us? Stop trying to quote the scripture uh, and misquoting it saying God will not put on you more than you can bear. He absolutely will, just like this teacher will. Yeah, you, 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 you don't need him if you can do everything on your own. He'll put it all on you, and you can do it. He's empowered you to do it. You think Peter knew? It's easy for us now because we have the Scripture. We can look back at miracles. You think Peter knew how to walk on water? You think he wasn't fearful to step down out of the boat? That's crazy. That's crazy today. I dare you. Go down to Lake Monroe today and step out of the boat and walk on the water. Come on. That sounds crazy, but how many know, and I mean this with all reverence and respect, God is crazy. Come on. I mean, he, he gave him not only his word, but in that word when Jesus said, come, come on down. He gave him the word. He gave him the authority. He gave him the power to do everything that he told him to do. Don't we understand when God tells us who we are, not only is he saying, oh, I think you can do it. Go ahead and give it a good try. No, he's given you the power, the authority, the anointing to do what he's called you to do. We have to know who we are. You're an overcomer. You are the head and not the tail. And what we've got to stop doing is allowing external things to influence who we think we are. We let things influence us like our job or our career. We let uh, even our gifts and talents. You know, even, even as a pastor, 
You know, I had this conversation uh, with my wife some time ago, you know, and she said, you know, listen, be careful. Don't let the position of pastor define who you are. You know, at the end of the day, you're still Michael. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that God created. And I mean this, again, with all respect and all reverence to the position, because I respect anyone who's in a ministry position. But I could not do this. I could do other things. I could get a job. Even if it's at Kroger, I could, I could, I could, I could do other stuff. I, and, and God's proven it to me in my life. He's put me in positions where I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. So it, it, that doesn't define me, but because God, it's my metron, you understand. It's, it's not just the purpose, it's the path that God has me on. What path does he have you on? What is your metron? We can't even let friends and our spouse define who we are. We should have that before we come to them, actually. Come on, you need to take Al's marriage class if you want to know that. You, we can't let anything, our family name, our bank account, all of these things, education. You, I am for education. I am. Get your education, but you can't let that define you. It should be an add-on to who you are. We can't let the things that we do, our good works, charity, maybe you're a philanthropist, I don't know, clothes that you wear, who someone else says you are. We can't let those things define who we are. We have to first know who we are. Then we'll know what to do with all of those gifts and talents and things that God put in our hand. I would, listen, it's not about what's in your hand. Just think about money for a moment. Just think about money. We know that money itself is not the root of all evil. We've heard it preached. No, it's the love of money. Now, whose hands would you rather have money in? Someone who's evil or someone who follows God? Come on. Someone who follows God. Someone who's righteous. It's not about the money. It's not about the gifts and the talents. It's who you are that determines what you do with them. This is what God said through Isaiah 42, 6. He said, I, the Lord, have called you, I've called you into righteousness. I know you don't always act righteous. I know the things that you think about aren't always righteous. I understand that. But God called you into righteousness. He called you into that. And he said, I will hold your hand. I will keep you, give you as a covenant to the people as a light to those that don't know me, to the Gentiles. I'll give you as a light to them. You are the example. That's who you are. But you know, your enemy, he desires to steal your identity. We know it. The enemy comes to what? Kill. To steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they might have life. And that more abundantly. Listen, if Satan can get you to forget who you are, who you really are, he can conquer you. He can conquer you. He can get you to do what he wants you to do. If you forget who you are. Wait a minute, hang on a second. I don't do this kind of thing. That's not who I am. I mean, he'll, 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 he'll beat us down. He'll throw things at you. He'll, he'll try to trip you up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know I've had those days. It may not seem like it. <laughs> But I know I've had days where it just seems like everything is going wrong. You ever had a day like that? Anybody ever had a day like that? Another story, this guy, <laughs> he was writing into his uh, insurance company. And he said this, he said, I was recently moving 500 pounds of bricks 
from the top of a five-story building, 500 pounds of bricks. So he said it would take a long time to carry them down, right? Because I had to do them maybe one at a time or two at a time or, uh, you know, just take a very long time. He said, so I put them in a bucket and I lowered them down with a pulley, which I fastened to the top of the building. I began to lower them down. Makes sense, doesn't it? Lower them down, take a lot less time. He said, after tying the rope securely at the ground level, I returned to the top of the building, right? And I tied the other end to the barrel, loaded, loaded the bricks in it, and swung it over the side of the building for the descent. Then I returned to the sidewalk, and I untied the rope, and I was holding it securely to guide the barrel down slowly. He said, but one thing I remembered right as I untied it was that there's 500 pounds of bricks in the barrel. And I was thinking the last time I weighed myself, I only weighed 180 pounds. A little disparaging. And uh, so what happens is <laughs> the force of the descent of the bricks jerked me into the air so quickly that I didn't even have time to think about letting go. I just went up, and as I passed between the second and third floors, I met the barrel coming down. Now, this accounts for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. But still, I held tightly to the rope until I reached the top, where my hand became jammed into the pulley, because I went so fast. This accounts for my broken fingers. Now, at the same time, however, the barrel crashed into the ground, all the bricks came out. See where we're going with this? And then, with the weight of the bricks now gone, the barrel went back up into the air. And now, since the barrel only weighed 40 pounds, and I weighed 180 pounds, my body began a swift descent to the ground as the barrel came back up. And as I met the bucket coming back up, it ran into my legs. That accounts for my broken ankles. And my descent continued until I crashed into the pile of bricks that was at the bottom on the ground. This accounts for my sprained back and my broken collarbone. So at that time, I guess I lost my presence of mind completely, and I just let go of the rope, except that the barrel was still up there. <laughs> So it came crashing five floors down on top of me, and that accounts for my head injuries. <laughs> now, I tell you, after an account like that, <laughs> you would think things are just not going my way. Maybe the enemy has won. But even after all that you have gone through, after all of the corona, after all of the racial riots, after all of the economic issues, after all of your family issues, after all of your sickness, after everything that you've gone through, God is still telling you that you are an overcomer, even though with your eyes you don't see it. But you are an overcomer. You're an overcomer. There is a spiritual war going on with your identity. It's a spiritual war. The enemy wants you to feel like that you're isolated on an island. He wants you to feel the pain, the hurt. He wants you to be resentful, guilty, angry, all of those things. If he can alter your identity, he can steal your hope. If he can, if he can alter your identity, he can kill your dreams. 
right away. If he can alter your identity, he can destroy your fellowship with God. And that's the worst of all. Because if your, your fellowship with God is destroyed, then you have no hope and you have no dreams. Come on. His biggest weapon is to get you to repeat what he's saying. He'll begin to put things in your mind like you're just an average person. Someone else is great, but I'm just okay. Maybe if I was born differently, maybe if I was born in, on the rich side of town or to a different family, things would be different. That you're insignificant. You don't matter. Your voice doesn't matter. You, you, you'll never have that person's talent or ability. That's what the enemy will tell you. That, that you, you have to earn God's acceptance. That, listen, out of everything that's going on, you don't matter. Your vote doesn't matter. Come on. Don't let those things become part of your identity. And worse yet, don't let this become not only part, but don't let it become who you are. Don't let it become who you are. How do we know our identity? How do we know who we really are? Well, you already know that, but let me just remind you. There was a philosopher, 17th century philosopher. His name was Blaise Pascal. And he said this. He said, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. We don't even know ourselves without Jesus. So how do we know who we are? How do we identify? Well, we identify with Christ. Come on. He said you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are chosen. Somebody say chosen. It's important to understand that you are chosen. I'm not the last person and you just took me just because I was the last one. You didn't have a choice. No, you were chosen. You are a royal priesthood. This is who you are. By the way, God is telling you who you are right here, right now. You are a holy nation. You are a people that belongs to God. You don't belong to the world. Why are we so surprised? The world is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. How are you shocked? You don't belong to the world. And you, unlike everyone else, have received mercy. Not that anyone else can't. They can receive mercy. All they have to do is ask for it. Accept Jesus in their life. But you have already received it. You are accepted. God chose, listen, God chose me before everything else. Before he created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the universe, before the creation of the world, a lamb was slain. Well, there wouldn't, the lamb wouldn't have been slain unless there was a reason. He already chose you. Now let that marinate for a moment. He made you acceptable. Titus 3.7 says that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs to the hope of eternal life. In other words, he made us acceptable by his grace and gave us the hope of eternal life. And this grace can only be received as a gift. There's nothing you can do for it. So stop trying to perform your way into acceptance. Come on. By God, because it's not based on performance. We have to have a confidence. There's a song we used to sing here. And it, in, the, in the middle of the song, the writer says, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. 
I am your friend, God, because you have called me friend. He said, I am accepted. I know who I am. In fact, come on, let's sing that song. I am secure. I am confident that I am loved. I know who I am. He said, I am alive. I am set free. I belong to you. And you belong to me. Know who you are in Christ. Stand to your feet.